Hey guys, we are live with the Shooter's Mindset episode 304, talking about applied ballistics. We've got Greg, our co-host here tonight. Hey everyone. Anthony, is a, he might hop on here. I'm not sure if he's going to hop on or not, but he couldn't get home in time. He's working, training lots of people. Um, so he may pop in later and he might not. We'll see. But the guests of the hour that the reason everybody's here to watch the show, we have uh, Chris Winkie, the Applied Ballistics Training Division Manager, and Mitz Fitzpatrick, the Applied Ballistics Engineer. I did not get tongue twisted on that. <laughs> you proud? Uh, anyway, let's start with you, Mitch. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the shooting industry and how you ended up working for Applied Ballistics. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm Mitch Fitzpatrick. I'm a mechanical engineer at Applied Ballistics. Um, I got started shooting actually when I was in high school. Um, I kind of just stumbled across the uh, F-class uh, competition shooting. F-class shooting, a lot of people are probably familiar with that. If you're not, it's considered belly bench rest, a lot of people call it. Um, so it's just... Uh, kind of flat square range thousand yard shooting typically there's mid-range too but um and I wanted to start doing that but I didn't really have the the money to buy the equipment I needed to when I was in high school so um, I was actually able to get access to some you know mills and lathes and stuff and I started uh kind of putting together my own rifles with the help of my dad and my uncles and uh started shooting and started doing really well and uh being that I was living I, from here in Michigan, uh, ran into Brian at some of the matches, uh, Brian Litz, and that's how I kind of got connected with him when I was in high school and started interning with Applied Ballistics and uh, just shooting F-class with a lot of the guys here in Michigan, started traveling around doing that, and uh, one thing led to another, tried out for the, the U.S. team for the World Championships in 2017 and uh got on that shot with those guys um so that was a good experience and then uh late 2015 brian and i decided we wanted to to kind of hop into the elr game so we kind of switched gears and started building uh elr guns while we were still preparing for the the f-class worlds and um so we started shooting uh 2016 is the first year we started shooting elr and i i won the the king of two miles in 2016 um, been shooting and won quite a few ELR matches, uh, since then. And, um, after 2017, I kind of stopped with, stopped shooting F class and have been continuing on with the ELR. Um, hopefully I can get involved in a little bit more PRS and practical type stuff here going forward. Uh, just, uh, been busy graduating college and getting started working full time at AB. So I haven't, haven't shifted gears to anything new, but that's, uh, that's kind of the short, the short version of the story. <laughs> Sweet. I, that must be one heck of an internship to get to go intern with applied ballistics and Brian Litz. Good Lord. Yeah. In high school. That's a, yeah, I've been, like I said, I've been working with them uh, since I was in high school. I just graduated college. It's been six or seven years. I've been working with them now. And it's, you know, just one of those freak things. I was, when I kind of hopped into the F class shooting at the time, I hopped in, uh, about as hard as I could and Brian recognized that and gave me an opportunity so it uh, obviously it's worked out pretty well. 
That's awesome. So Chris, how about you? How'd you get involved in the shooting industry and eventually working for Applied Ballistics as well? Yeah, so I guess uh, my story regarding my entry into the uh, shooting industry is somewhat different to Mitch's. I uh, grew up, you know, shooting, starting with air rifle, 22 as a real young lad, and then um, ended up joining the military when I was about 18 and had a uh, pretty extensive career in the Australian military for a bunch of years. Um, eventually streamed into the sniper community and uh, spent a lot of years uh, behind bolt guns and gas guns in the sniper community there. And then uh, eventually um, I went contracting for the Australian government uh, for a few years and then come back to the Australian uh, sniper community again for another year or so. And um, so I was never really directly involved with the, uh, the shooting industry as such, except for, you know, I, I still dabbled in some long range hunting and uh, things like that aside from work. Uh, but my entry into the firearms industry started when I knew that I was coming to a close on my military contract. And uh, I saw that Applied Ballistics had recently put a, uh, a Facebook uh, post out looking for engineers. And so I took my, uh, my CV and I sent my CV to Brian and I, I explained, look, hey, Brian, I'm no engineer, but uh, maybe you'll find a use for the skill sets I have available. And uh, sure enough, he got back in contact with me and uh, we continued to bounce emails back and forth. I went through an interview process, um, an, an initial you know, phone call, and then linked up with Brian uh, in late 2018 and uh, commenced work after uh, moving over here. So, yeah. That's awesome. Y'all both had uh, interesting paths to get there. Mm -hmm. kind, yeah. of, uh, in, kind of unconventional paths, you know, <laughs> different yeah. ways. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of Applied Ballistics and how it got to where it is today? Mitch, I feel like you're a good one for this because you've basically been there since the inception, right? Like since the dawn of time as it was born. So I feel like you should take this. <laughs> yeah, um, not quite that early, but um, pretty close. We we're kind of joking about it. I think, um, I think Doc is the only one that's still working there other than Brian, obviously, that was working there when I started. Um, so we've got tons of people have been hired on since, since I've, since I started, which is ironic. Cause I just started full time. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I think it was about 2009 um, when Brian was kind of leaving his, his previous career um, working for the air force and he was wanting to get into the shooting industry. He was a, uh, a competitive shooter uh, growing up kind of, kind of similar to how I, I started. Um, only he started like in Palma shooting and actually he originally, originally started doing Ventress, but anyway. Um, and so he was, he was trying to get a job with one of the, the bullet manufacturers and obviously he became the ballistician for burger bullets. So that's kind of how that went. But on top of that, um, he recognized the need for, for accurate BC data um, on all of the long range bullets that were available for long range shooters. And so on his own, uh, independently, he started testing different chronographs. He got the chronographs that kind of worked the best and 
he was going to public ranges and um, shooting through the chronographs to get BC data. And that was kind of the inception of applied ballistics. And not only that, but then he also recognized a kind of a, a gap in the knowledge that a lot of people had about long range shooting, the science that goes into it. Um, so he also started writing the applied ballistics books that uh, most people are familiar with and um, AB is kind of known for. Um, so that's kind of how it got started. And then as that progressed, uh, a few more people got involved and that's when the software side of things started to take over because, or take off because Brian uh, and some of the others recognized the, a, a need or an opportunity for um, better ballistics software for shooters to kind of take advantage of the science that he was writing about and the BCs that he was measuring and producing. And uh, that really has been, that kind of encompasses what the evolution of AB has been really in the last 10, 11 years. Um, just in the last couple of years, we've kind of, we've kind of tried some other things. We uh, tried the weapons division thing for a while, um, uh, producing weapons because, you know, that was something that I had kind of originally gotten into. And, um, you know, we did that for a little while. There's a lot of people out there doing that. It wasn't a super good fit for our organization and the way we operate. So um, we kind of decided to not keep doing that. And then obviously we've started the train division. That's what uh, Chris does. Um, and that was started as kind of a, as we recognized a, a kind of a gap in a lot of the um, the products that we're putting, I shouldn't say that we're putting out, a lot of the products that are coming out with the software that we produce that gets integrated into those products, um, kind of the, the training and the knowledge base to use those products and, as well as a, a demand from military and everything else that goes along with how AB has grown. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the big picture of how AB has kind of evolved. Uh, specifically the lab, the labs where we do a lot of this uh, testing, the BC testing, we do all sorts of different shooting um, experiments. We do, you know, we test, um, I mean, everything from, you know, how big of an impact does annealing have on your groups or your velocity spreads to um, testing different powders. Um, just, I mean, just pretty much any shooting precision velocity tests you can imagine uh, we shoot there. That's awesome. I think I might be able to bring this full circle too, actually, because, uh, you know, concurrently while AB is developing and um, growing as a company, uh, I was you know, back in Australia and I remember we started dabbling with uh, ballistic solvers quite early on as they, uh, the inception of these uh, ballistic solvers started coming out on PDAs and things like that. And um, I remember you know, quite vividly when the Kestrel 4500 with AB came out and that was pretty much a game changer overnight for us on the ground as well in terms of uh, trajectory prediction and um, what that meant for a sniping capability. And so that, you know, was what made me aware of applied ballistics uh, to begin with alongside Brian's books and ultimately how I got linked up with, with AB in the, in the long run. Um, but it's just interesting to note the developments and, and how far everything's come in the last few years. And now we have a lot of devices integrated with AB software and, and what that means for trajectory prediction and what that means for allowing shooters to get on target, you know, with first round hits. Yeah, it's really a, 
I guess an amazing accomplishment in the shooting world. You know, there's a lot of guys at work, you know, older guys that were, you know, 40, 50 years ago trying to do some of the stuff that we do today. And, you know, I talk, I'm like, yeah, you know, this stage at the match is really fun. You know, we shot, you know, 600 yards, 800 yards, 1200 yards in the back and forth. And they're like, how do you, how do you hit it the first time? I'm like, Oh, I just, I put the distance in my phone and, and then I dialed the little knobby due to what it says. <laughs> yep. I mean, I remember when, uh, you know, when we first started um, messing around with solvers and it was all G1 BCs with velocity bands and there was no really consistent uh, data available or anything like that. And you know, through uh, necessity and, and through the recognition of innovation, um, a need for innovation, we've kind of developed and grown into what's now possible for your run-of-the-mill long-range shooter so mm -hmm. i'll say it's like voodoo it's like magic like <laughs> it's so funny i just put it in and it is always right i have yet to like i know people sometimes are tinker with it i have yet to have to adjust anything my dope is always now wind is a yeah. different story yeah. that's on me but elevation <laughs> is uh always right yeah i i always love those uh Every once in a while, you know, you somebody will be like, you know, the the wind was five miles an hour, but the the Kestrel is two tenths of a mil off, and I'm like, yeah, was the wind really five miles an hour? All right. <laughs> I know for 100% certainty for all 1,200 yards, the wind was yeah. exactly <laughs> five miles an hour. Yep, exactly. So yeah, wind's always a big question, but yeah, you know, I personally, I'm the same way. You know, the the Kestrel in our software has some functionality for drop scale factor and truing. And, uh, you know, those are very valuable parts of the software that are used in some applications. But um, just like you were saying, for me personally and all the shooting I do, I'd, I'd have never had to use them either. Yeah, I very much agree as well. And that's really good to hear, Jennifer, because that's uh, somewhat what I preach to shooters, regardless of whether it's um, military, law enforcement, or civilian, you, your elevation should line up regardless. It should just come down to a, a, a solid wind call for average wind and, and wind speed, wind direction downrange. Um, that should be realistically what you need to do as the shooter, and that's it. The, uh, the device should be doing everything else for you. And, I kind of relate this back to just a calculator on steroids, right? Like if one plus one doesn't equal two, you've got to ask questions. And uh, really what Solver is doing in the background is it's doing the math for you. It's, you know, doing the science, it's running the equations in motion for you. And if, you know, that one plus one doesn't equal two, you know, something's not quite right. You just need to figure out what that is. Yep. And so we had somebody ask the question, uh, why should we not true our BC to match our rifle? Which kind of a couple questions in one that I guess we should kind of break down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so the first, the, the first thing I would say is most, so most rifles are going to have a pretty consistent BC for a, a given projectile. That might have been awkward phrasing. What I mean is, if you're shooting a specific bullet, you know, like the BC that we have in our library, it's probably going to be very close for your rifle. Um, some some rifles do have differences. We do see that, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit when we start talking about PDMs and stuff we do with the mobile lab. But 
adjusting the BC should be one of the very last things you do, because if it is different, it's only going to be different a little bit. And so you kind of get into the nuance of like how much error are you really trying to chew out here? But um, a good rule of thumb is like a truing or adjusting anything on the drag should be like way down your list of things. Um, I mean, obviously your first thing you should do is always just confirm your muzzle velocity, make sure that, um, you know, from when you chronographed a week ago to, you know, now 50 shots later, you think your dope's off, but your velocity could very well be different. So you need to, you know, check your muzzle velocities because we see that all the time with velocity migration, depending on what cartridge powder, everything you're shooting. Some, uh, some things are sensitive to that, you know, any other inputs, you know, especially if you're making a new profile, do you have your scope height correct? All that other stuff. Um, I know somebody that messed that up. Yeah, exactly. And um, and then like if you if you really honestly believe you've kind of gone through everything and you think all your inputs are correct, but you still got a little bit of error, um, you know, you've, you're running a chronograph while you're shooting, so you know your velocity inputs exactly correct. Um, if anything, on the user level, you should true your velocity a little bit to get things to line up. Um, because kind of like what Chris was just going into, if all of your inputs are correct, and I mean truly correct, um, it's it's just it's amazing how yeah, that seems simple, but you know myself, Chris, Brian, we mess that stuff up sometimes. Like there's a lot of inputs and there's a lot of information to track, and it's just it's a really common thing to mess up. But once you once you know you've got all your uh, inputs correct and you know your velocity is correct, 99% of the time your your elevation is going to line up. In the few cases that it doesn't, at the user level, best thing you can do is just if it's at if it's like into transonic, just run a DSF. If it's inside of that, um, you know, just true your velocity a little bit. Um, beyond that, like I said, we'll get into this in a little bit probably. But um, any changes with drag stuff, I would I would do that with a a PDM. I would come see us at an event. We'll shoot your gun over the radar, get a PDM set up so you have a profile with your exact drag. And that is that is the true, quote-unquote, true drag for your rifle. Measured. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. I, I'm, I'm hopefully coming to Wisconsin, and I have two – I got to see if I can get enough ammo in there to do that. I yeah. haven't – it only takes – we only need 10 or 12 shots to get really good data for you. I have an idea. What if you take my rifle and rifle case with you and you can put some ammo in my case and, you know, maybe <laughs> while you're there, you know, so you have a backup gun. That's yeah, fine. there you go. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've kind of touched on bits and pieces of it. Um, but at the Applied Ballistics Lab, what's like the, the list of things that you do? What all, what all do you guys do there at the, at the lab? Um, so, I mean, to summarize it, I would say we do – you know, every kind of, uh, you know, when you're at the loading bench and you're like, oh man, I should test this to see how it affects my velocities and consistency. Like all the little ideas and type of stuff you come up with when you're reloading or stuff you want to test in your rifle, that's what we do at the lab. We've got all sorts of, you know, we've got all sorts of high end loading equipment. We've got annealers and, um, you know, all the kind of all the, the new and high end, um, powder measuring devices. 
priming tools, you know, we've tested stuff from trying to like weight sort primers to how does annealing affect your SDs? Um, I mean, all the way up to, you know, some higher level stuff for, for component manufacturers. So again, all that little kind of stuff that you wonder when you're at the loading bench trying to um, find the, like, what's the, the next little thing to give you an edge? That's, that's exactly what we're doing at the lab, essentially, uh, to put it, uh, to kind of summarize it. Um, but a lot of what we do is BC testing there uh, when we're not doing other, um, con you know, military government contract stuff, uh, manufacturer contract stuff. And uh, the BC testing, honestly, it's pretty straightforward. Um, we're shooting over Doppler radar. Um, you know, we, we get the bullets in. Uh, we, we get... Um, we don't, for the BC testing that goes into our library, we don't get bullets direct from the manufacturer, um, even from Berger or anyone. We, what we do is we actually go and buy the bullets from like Midway or Powder Valley or Brownells, Sinclair. Uh, and the reason for that is we, we never want to run the risk of getting like a, you know, like a prototype run of bullets or something like that. So we just always go and buy the same bullets everybody else is buying. And that's what we load up and we test uh, to put into the library. Um, I think it's yeah, important I mean, too. Kind of an overview. Yeah, I, I think it's important too to um, outline when Mitch is talking about BC testing. You know, that's not just testing new bullets. That's going back and reconfirming uh, the yeah. average BC. Uh, for a lot of uh, current bullets that are already existing in the bullet library. And that's a uh, continuous ongoing uh, task in the sense that the guys at the lab will go back and re-verify uh, the average, you know, G7 and G1 BCs um, and average custom drag models for those bullets uh, periodically as well, lot to lot. So, yep. but, uh, you know, gives, that should give shooters a lot of confidence uh, that their data that they're pulling from the bullet library wasn't captured or, you know, tested years ago. It's, you know, most likely been updated um, quite, quite recently. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, and that leads into another thing that's kind of good to point out, especially kind of relating it back to the, the PDMs and stuff we're doing now. It's amazing how, relatively dynamic um, BCs can be. Uh, so, you know, historically, a bullet comes out, they print a BC on the box, and that's the BC. But, you know, what we found is over time, different lots of bullets from the same manufacturer, same model, the I mean, the BC varies, it kind of changes over time as the the dyes that form the bullets change um, as jacket material changes as core material changes um it just changes over time like there's small dimensional changes and that manifests itself in small bc changes so that's kind of what uh chris was getting at there with updating the library and trying to retest existing bullets because um you know a bullet that was tested 10 years ago the the bc is most likely going to be a little bit different today than it was 10 years ago so um that's why we we work to try to keep everything as updated as we can. Now we've got, uh, I believe we've got over a thousand bullets now in our library. So that's a, that's a big undertaking to kind of update and manage and keep working with that. But um, that's, 
that's what we're trying to do because like you said as we've we've been in this game long enough now and we've tested enough things that um we we kind of see how dynamic it is and that's another big reason why we're going to the pdms now because guys like to buy you know like they like to buy a few thousand bullets from one lot well if you come to a match and get a pdm you have the exact bc or better yet pdm cdm uh you can get into that um for that lot of bullets out of your rifle through your suppressor you know the whole nine yards um and that kind of can help guys avoid some of these nuanced changes in uh, in BCs. That is kind of the reality of manufacturing. That's pretty sweet. So I think we're gonna go and hit some live I was questions about to real say, quick. I have okay. to hit the lives mainly, <laughs> yeah, so that P Winky will quit tagging me. But Prentice, <laughs> we are gonna have to renegotiate this. See, you're not giving me any quarters for your shout outs and you'll give Gina quarters. So I might not give you any more shout outs until I can renegotiate this deal with you. But I will shout out your wife, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Um, <laughs> so I had to get that out. So Prentice, I saw your 58 comments where you tagged me. It's okay, you can stop. <laughs> um, but let's see, somebody had a good, uh, question or a good comment on here. Miles, when we were talking about, um, the elevation not lining up said that zero offset and mirage effects are far more ignored and contributory to dope disparities than BC variants, in my opinion. I yeah. think he's right there. I think a lot of times, uh, people messing up on input in their Kestra. I got, I'll admit, I'll admit that I got to Wyoming and had changed something in my Kestrel accidentally. And I don't know how I managed to do it because I had it all in there, right? But anyway, for 6GT and changed the, was it the diameter? No, maybe it was the BC that accidentally got changed. Anyway, my dope was way off. And I was like, yeah. why is my dope off? When I was like checking out to 600 and I'm like going back through, I was like, I got to go look up the BC, that bullet again. And yeah, it was that. It's amazing how just having things entered wrong, human error can make a huge issue. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of like what I was saying earlier. The variations in BC is, it sh for the vast majority of shooters, that should be way down on the list of things that should cause you an issue. Definitely. And honestly, the main reason we've found it and we've been looking at it so much is primarily because of all the ELR shooting we do. Um, it becomes a lot bigger question when you're talking about trying to shoot a group at two miles than it does when you're trying to hit targets at 600 or 1,000 yards. Because, I mean, a small BC change doesn't affect your drop very much at 600 or 1,000 yards, but it can have mills of difference, you know, at two miles and stuff like that. So we've we've learned a lot and we've been paying a lot closer attention to a lot of this stuff um, because of the, the demands and what's required to try to hit stuff at these stupid distances, um, which is why we love ELR so much and why we spend so much time on it because um, the, those little things, they, they matter a lot more. And so the, the science geek in us <laughs> um, gets, uh, gets a little excited with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Jen says, doing accurate temperature variance input seems to be a key to accurate output. 
for like the I'm assuming he's talking about the muzzle velocity uh, temp table. I think that temperature variance. So I think just the environmentals being off. Yeah. So both. So those are both important because. Um, so Doc, our support guy, he'll be the first to tell you that so many people misuse that uh, powder temp table. Um, and this, that's something Chris could probably talk to you a little bit more about. Um, because if it's not done right, it can actually cause a lot of, it can actually cause a lot of error. Um, so if it's not done perfectly right, it's better to have not been done at all, but specifically to just variances in temperature, um, like for the, specifically for the Kestrel it has the, the lock environmental features. I've been around a lot of guys who they don't like religiously use that lock environmental feature. Well, if you get your, you, you know, you stand up and you measure your atmospherics and you've got your temperature and humidity and everything, and then you say you're going to shoot prone and you lay down to shoot and you set your Kestrel down on your shooting mat and then you get down behind the gun and then, you know, 30 seconds goes by or whatever and you look at your Kestrel to put your dope on. Well, the now it thinks it's 20 degrees hotter because it's, you know, it's in the sun on your shooting mat. And so now your, your data is off from what it should have been. You should have locked your uh, environmental data in when you were standing up, you know, spinning the Kestrel or in the wind. Um, and that, that's big. I mean, that's, if you're, if you're not paying attention to that, now you think your dope's off, but in reality, your, your atmospherics were just way off because it was measuring off your shooting mat and sun. I actually didn't know that at first. Um, yeah. Got a Kestrel and didn't know a whole lot anyway. And Sean Murphy, I had, um, we were at um, Arena in Blakely, okay. Georgia, where it's like, kind of like, almost in line with hill how hot yep. it is yeah. <laughs> and we're on the um it's a three-story tower and i'm all the way up on the third story and i'm like laying there and i had my things sitting that my kestrel was sitting there in the heat and i'm like this is, this is not right it's just you know it's a little bit off and he looked and he's like you need to lock your environmentals after you get up and like you know, twirl it yep. and get it in the, yep. in the air where it's getting the actual air temperature and not soaking up the sun. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's mind blown. So. Yep. It's all, it's all those little things. I mean, there's, this is a, uh, we you know in reality, what we're trying to do with long range shooting, there's a ton that goes into it that we really try to simplify, but um, yeah, there's a lot of nuances that you can kind of, you know, either you just don't know about when you're getting started or it's easy to forget about. So. Pretty, uh, you've got a, a some amount of forgiveness depending on how much error you have input or captured, you know, in the supersonic flight regime. But especially when you hit trans and sub, you know, in any kind of ELR capacity, regardless of that's, regardless of if that's uh, us talking about the ELR discipline as it exists now, or whether you're just taking your, you know, old 308 Winchester out to 12 or 1400 meters, that's yep. still ELR. Um, once you reach that transonic flight regime, you're going to uh, suffer a lot more and there'll be a lot less forgiveness in error margins in terms of uh, the temperature or, sorry, uh, environmental inputs that you've captured. I think it's uh, one other thing I'd like to note too, actually. Uh, Mitch, you talked earlier about the uh, MV temp table and uh, using that as, an, as a, uh, a tool, basically, to... Uh, have the device update, auto update your muzzle velocity. It's important to note that the uh, device itself is, is working off of the um, ambient temperature 
And so if your ammunition has been stored at a different ambient temperature to yep. the ambient temperature that you're swinging your Kestrel around outside, of course your muzzle velocity is going to be off because the Kestrel is using that ambient temperature rather than, you know, it doesn't have an input or you haven't told it what the ambient temperature of your, uh, your, your ammunition powder is. And that's uh, particularly relevant to guys that are storing ammunition in vehicles uh, where either the vehicle might be hot or it might be uh, slightly warm, you know, just comfortable in the vehicle. And then they hop out of the vehicle and it's, um, you know, the middle of winter and it might be, uh, you know, it might be 20 degrees. And so, you know, that's something uh, that needs to be noted as well. And it goes in line with what we were talking about with input errors, input errors earlier on tonight. Um, you know, if there's some kind of discrepancy or um, amount of error margin in the firing solution, again, you just have to go through and troubleshoot what that could possibly be uh, caused by. Yep. That's a lot of knowledge there. Um, we do have a couple of birthdays of our viewers this week and our friends. Uh, Chad Heckler's birthday was yesterday and Swanee's birthday is today. So I just want to say happy birthday to them. Oh, both Michigan guys too. Yeah. And Michigan guys. <laughs> um, and then also Zachary wants to know if you guys could talk a little bit more about the twirling of the Kestrel, how long to do it, how often to do it and any other tips around that. And then after that, we're going to announce a giveaway. Okay. Do you want me to take this, Mitch, or you want to take yeah, this? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so generally it's, you know, running the Kestrel, you can just swing it around. There's no uh, method or madness to it. Just give it a good, you know, five, five odd seconds or whatever, um, swing it around through the air. And what you're trying to achieve is get some ambient airflow through the, uh, the thermistor and the sensors that are located. Um, obviously, you know, the ones that you see uh, – in front of you in the middle of the Kestrel above the screen, but there's also some sensors um, on the rear of the Kestrel as well, uh, which is why, you know, if you were to leave your Kestrel on live um, and leave it in your pocket, you're gonna get a, uh, an incorrect reading. Or if you were to leave that Kestrel um, in your hand, that, you know, that, uh, that warmth, that body warmth is going to start to skew your, uh, your readings as well, so. Definitely don't overthink it though. Just swing that bad boy around. Yeah. <laughs> yep. How'd you miss that target? I twirled it eight times, not seven. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. There's no, uh, like there's no real science to it. Um, cause the, like I said, the whole point is the ambient or the, is to get the airflow over it. So it's reading the actual ambient conditions. Um, and I mean, by the time it's gone around, uh, second third fourth fifth time it's probably good the one thing i will say um again for just the best accuracy is <laughs> when i'm swinging that thing around the last time i swing it around i'm planning to like catch it as soon as it's coming down and i like catch it and i lock the environmentals right then because if you watch it yeah it it starts changing again fast because i mean you want to lock it into as close as it's spinning around as possible so it's not super critical on how many times you spin it, but I would say you want to lock it as quickly as after you stop spinning it as possible. Gotcha. All right. So we, we said something about a giveaway. We talked about Brian's books a little while ago. Um, okay. We have the entire collection. It's called the Media Bundle, as well as one of these, these super awesome Applied Ballistics t-shirts. Yeah, we um, got them on. <laughs> twinning. 
Um, we're going to be giving that away on next week's show. The post went up about five minutes ago on the Shooter's Mindset Facebook page. Um, you have to go over there, like us, like Apply Ballistics, and tag two friends in the post, um, and you will be entered to win. We'll have that drawing live next week on air. I should have worn my Applied Ballistics shirt. I feel like such a loner. I have one. It's just, I don't know, somewhere else. <laughs> it's somewhere in my house. <laughs> You want to you go change real quick? We'll wait. <laughs> no, I got off work and anyways, wearing what I wore to work, but I feel like an outcast without my blue applied ballistics shirt on. It's okay. You are. Thanks. Um, we'll, we'll jump around a, a, a little bit on, on our order of questions. There was an acronym you guys said a lot um, about a custom drag model and the, the mobile yep. lab and what happens at matches. So, Right when I first started, I saw this trailer and it said mobile laboratory or something someplace. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I should go check that out. And I never got around to it. So if I see you guys at a match, like for instance, I know the Wisconsin Barrel Maker Makers Classic this weekend. What goes on there? Yeah, so mostly what we're doing at matches right now is um, we try to get on the, the longest range that these places have available and we set up our radar equipment and then we let people come through and um, shoot. We measure the, the radar. So we use the radar to measure the, um, the drag on the bullet coming out of their rifle and we process that data. And so just to kind of give uh, an example of, you know, what someone would expect if they come visit us at one of these events um, they shoot under the radar. Then as soon as they're done, um, I process the data and you kind of come over to the trailer, um, or we might have a table set up depending on how things are laid out and, um, might take a, a minute or, you know, 30 seconds or whatever. But after I process the data, I create a, a printout, um, that has your muzzle velocities for every shot. So typically we have people shoot 10 shots. It's got your muzzle velocities for 10 shots. Um, it's got downrange velocities. It's got the the G7BC over the range that we're shooting. So, you know, if, if we got an 800-yard range or if we got a 1,200-yard range, um, there'll be like a 0 to 800-yard or a 0 to 1,200-yard G7BC number on there. Um, and then all of those are kind of uh, totaled and analyzed at the bottom of the printout. And you've got your – so your average velocity, your – extreme spread, your SD, but then, so it gives you that for all of your muzzle velocities, for your downrange velocities. It gives you your average extreme spread and SD of your BC. Um, so that's how we can kind of look at uh, BC variation, which is another thing we've been spending a lot of time looking at lately. Um, because again, not so much in the inside a thousand yard realm. I mean, it does have an effect, but not a huge effect, but in the ELR game, you know, how consistent is your BC from shot to shot? Because, you know, if it's not consistent, that can start opening up your group. Um, so you get all of that information on the printout that we give you. Um, and then it will also have a PDM code on there. And so kind of after, you know, you walk away, um, we've really refined the process with which we're processing PDMs, but we will then, um, Typically that later that afternoon, that evening uh, is where we're at now. We'll be able to upload your PDM and your G7BC data into our library. So you can access that BC, but even better yet, that PDM. Um, 
from your Kestrel, um, SIG, your phone app, all that good stuff. Um, so that's kind of the process or what you'd expect if you come to the mobile lab at one of these events right now. Now to explain the CDM, PDM, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, this is a, this is an explanation that Chris and I have done a couple times recently. It seems that it's some, it can be long and convoluted, but we'll try to simplify it and keep it short. Uh, so what a BC is, it, for people that may not be super familiar, um, or, you know, real high level on ballistic understanding is a BC is really a kind of like a correction factor for a standard drag curve. And what a drag curve is, is your coefficient of drag versus Mach uh, plot, so to speak. So for every projectile at every Mach number, which is your velocity, Mach is just the relation to the speed of sound, um, you know, from zero up to more or less infinity, we don't take it that far because obviously we're not shooting things with infinite velocity. Um, there's a, a unique drag coefficient at every velocity essentially and so that turns into a curve like you'd look at it a graph there's a standard curve for the g7 standard it has a set cd values and it has a set shape for that plot i think i but actually uh, have those bullets just give me one second <laughs> oh yeah okay um but so what a, what a, a a bc is is it's essentially scaling that curve up or down to try to closely match the bullet that you're actually shooting. And so the, the reason why a BC actually isn't ideal is because while you're scaling that curve to try to match the bullet that you're shooting, the shape of that curve is actually slightly different for the bullet that you're shooting versus the standard. And where that shape is different is where you get some, uh, some very minor error in your solution. Um, that that's the reason why we've gone from G1 to G7 because the G1 shape was very that's the G1 example he's holding up there we've got big examples um, the G1 shape is very different from the G7 so that's why the shape of that curve was really different and why people had to run uh, banded G1 BCs to get accurate predictions we go to the G7 and it was a lot better so we don't really necessarily have to run the banded uh, BCs to get an accurate enough solution for what we're trying to do in a lot of cases, but especially now with people pushing the limits even further and shooting ELR, what we've done is we introduced the CDM, which is where instead of taking a standard curve, we just measure that curve for that specific bullet with the radar data. And so we get all of the exact CD values at all of the velocity numbers, um, obviously within uh, within our, the ability, our ability to shoot them and measure the velocity. And that's what a CDM is. So it's the best drag representation of that bullet. Now, where we go from CDM to PDM is like I was talking about with lot to lot variations, uh, but also launch dynamics and rifle specific, barrel specific, um, you know, launch dynamics being uh, effects the suppressor or muzzle brake might have, which do exist. That that stuff can't get accounted for in a, a generic CDM that we have for a specific bullet. So once you kind of get to that level in the weeds, those very small, minute changes, when we shoot a PDM, we now have that drag curve, that 
drag coefficient versus mock uh, curve for your exact setup. So any um, weird launch dynamics you have with your suppressor, muzzle brake, barrel, um, if you have a, a rougher barrel that's actually lowering your BC a little bit, that is factored in. If you have a different lot of bullets, that's factored in. If you're pointing your bullets, that's factored in, obviously, because, I mean, we're, we're measuring exactly what you're shooting. So what you end up with with a PDM is a drag curve that, within our ability to measure, is a perfect match for what you're shooting. So that, I mean, the, the drag should not even be a question in the error of your solution at that point. That's awesome. So this sounds like an ungodly expensive service that probably only the richest of us can afford, right? Nope. It is free. Uh, what? So that's, it's, if you come to a match that we're sponsoring with this service, it's free to the shooters to do. Um, we offer that essentially as a sponsorship to the match. Um, obviously the equipment to do it is very expensive. Uh, it, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time and we, but we've really refined our systems to make it efficient. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the best way for people to use our software. So like I said, we, we offer this as a service that we, um, sponsor to the matches. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting through 50, 60 guys in a day where we keep improving those numbers, but yeah. Um, if you come see us at a match, it doesn't cost you anything to get that information uh, or get that PDM measured, and we'll get it up on the on the library for guys to use. Francis says that everyone should 100% expect to win the match when running a PDM. <laughs> I believe he visited y'all on Friday, maybe, and then yeah. won the match. Uh, yep. so, yeah, Francis has been... I enjoyed a lot of success with PDMs in the past. So. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not surprised to hear that from him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Francis right there, a Michigan guy too. Um, so he's had a little bit more experience with us, but yeah, I mean, every match that we've been at, he's been at, he comes and gets a PDM there. And uh, obviously he's got the shooting skills to match up with it. So he's That's able to truth. convert that into a win, but <laughs> it definitely helps. Definitely helps. Definitely helps. And Jen says that it would be, nice it'd be really cool to have the mobile lab at the f-class nationals in october f-class nationals in october yeah so um that's uh, that's a good point too is uh if there's any like match directors listening um or just anyone if anybody has a suggestion for uh events for us to come to at the mobile lab um get a hold of us at applied ballistics either through the the support email or you know uh you can call into the office or email um like amanda at the office there and um yeah we're always open to suggestions i mean obviously we have to consider scheduling with other stuff we've got going on other events we're already going to um and you know it's got to be a good fit but we're always open to suggestions for more events to bring the lab to and um reach more shooters so what events that you know of for the rest of the year are you guys going to be at? Um, so we're going to the Barrel Maker Classic, obviously, um, coming up here this weekend. And then I, think we'll be I believe the next one after that. We're, what's that, Chris? Ringneck, right, after that? Yeah, ring. Uh, so there's an ELR match in Kansas. Um, it's at Ringneck Ranch, I believe. It's called ELR at Clark's Knob, something like that. Um that one is going to be August 20th ish, whatever weekend is right there. I'm not 100% sure what the exact dates are. 
Um, I believe we're going to the the Gap Grind. I think that's in October. Um, actually, I've got my calendar here. First weekend of October. First weekend in October. So we're going to that. Um, I'm going to be the first one in line there. Okay. Um, we're supposed to be going to the King of Two Miles. Um, so that would be that got pushed back into September. So we should have it there at the King of Two Miles doing PDMs there. Um, let me see if there's anything that we're committed to. Obviously, I mean, we had a bunch of stuff planned. Um, and with all the changes that happened this year, COVID stuff where things got shaken up, but that's, that's all the stuff I know of for sure at the moment. Um, oh, so grind. Amanda went ahead and in the comments, she posts, oh, that's not the right link. That didn't come up right. Um, but on Applied Ballistics website, um, there is the, uh, the full schedule if you're looking for something. Yep. We didn't hit it there. Yep. And we're, we're trying to keep that updated. Um, so obviously stuff's been changing dynamically with COVID, but um, as much as possible, we'll keep that updated. So guys can, uh, anyone can pay attention to that. Uh, the other one, I, I, I'm pretty sure, um, I'm pretty sure we're going to the Kestrel Fall Classic, but um, we'll have to see on that one. Awesome. Um, it sounds like you will. Um, do you know about the Precision Rifle Expo? Well, um, so yeah, Chris, I think you're going to the Precision Rifle Expo, isn't that correct? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not sure if the mobile labs uh, going there. Do you know if it's it'll be on site, Mitch? I know. Yeah, I'm I don't. I don't think. I don't think we're taking the mobile lab there because the King of Two Mile is kind of co-current, and um, with the expo, the expo is better for us um, to have guys like Chris there to kind of put on some more. Uh, I'll be putting on seminary type type stuff. Um, because people aren't bringing their own rifles there to shoot and do PDMs and stuff like that. The, the mobile lab's not as valuable there yeah. as um, just having personnel on site. So obviously, I mean, if, if it was the only thing happening at that time, we'd probably have it there, but with the King of two miles being butted up next to it, we want to get those ELR shooters, PDMs and all that good stuff. So I don't, I don't think we'll have the mobile lab at that event. So somebody asked where to go um, about drag models for 22 long rifle um francis already replied back there's like 20 different new drag miles in the bullet library but like let's say i bring my other green gun that shoots little 22s to one of the yeah. matches can we can we get a custom drag model for that yeah um so right now we're we're trying to get people to kind of uh fill out the the pdm form ahead of time before they come to the match so we can get guys lined up and organized but yeah if, if you know, if guys want to bring a, a second rifle or they want to bring a 22 or something, um, providing we can accommodate that with the, the range, so that's, I guess that's something we would have to clarify with the venue. Um, you know, if, if there's nobody waiting in line to get their first PDM, we'll run, a, we'll run people through on their second PDM or 22 PDM or anything like that. So we can definitely do that. Yeah, we do have some 22 stuff in the library. Um, and it's something we're definitely going to do more of. It's just we got to roll it into the schedule. We got so much stuff going on that uh, we want to do it. We just got to got to make it fit. Yeah, I, I feel you there. It's it's such a a growing growing sport. The NRL twenty two now PRS yeah. announced their twenty two. Um, so that would be really cool, especially with people trying to start doing this ELR twenty two stuff. Yeah, and I think 
I think as we get into that, I think there's a lot of stuff we'll learn um, that's different with 22s with, you know, with drag related stuff, twist rates, barrel effects. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I think we'll learn a lot once we really dive into the 22 stuff more. That, that'll be awesome. I look forward to that. I, I just love shooting rimfire. You know, I shot one match and then all of a sudden ended up being a uh, NRL 22 match director. It's, it's a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, so developing the bullet library, like how does this process work? I know you said that at first we start off with bullets that we know are the real bullets that people are going to get. Um, and obviously we shoot in front of some Doppler radar. Um, but like, what's the full process before something gets added into that library? Um, so step one is either, you know, like a new bullet gets announced, like, I don't know, a Nosler RDF or a Hornady A-tip or a, a new Burger Elite Hunter, whatever. Um, and so when that bullet becomes available, um, typically if it's something like high level like that, that we know a lot of long range shooters are going to, you know, they're going to want to shoot or try, um, that kind of immediately pops on our radar. And we, I, I personally have a running list that I keep track of for, um, bullets that should be added to the library to kind of schedule and fit into our testing schedule. Um, but also if people have bullets that they're like, Oh, this isn't in the library. It's just not something we've looked at or we've tested yet. Um, feel free to again, email us with suggestions. Um, regardless of where they go, they kind of filter their way to me. And if it's, um, if it's something that a, we have all the stuff we can easily test, uh, or B is, you know, looks like it'll bring a lot of value to, you know, other people. It's something we overlooked. Then it gets added to the list, um, kind of prioritized and I uh, guess kind of gets put in the queue uh, wherever it needs to for future tests. Um, so it, the, the key point there is if anybody has a bullet they want added, shoot us an email, suggest it, we'll, we'll consider it and kind of prioritize it and see what we can do. Um, from there, we order the bullets. So like I was saying earlier, we order all of the bullets we test from, uh, obviously some, you know, some like high-end ELR solid bullets are only available from the manufacturer. So we just buy them from them. But um, pretty much everything we get from Midway or Brownells or wherever. So, you know, we know we get bullets that shooters are also buying. And once they show up, they kind of, uh, they're kind of, again, they're kind of sitting there ready in the queue once we're, kind of scheduled to do a test we're ready to shoot a bc test uh we'll go through and you know load up ammo for every caliber we've got the cartridges and the loads that we use for our weight ranges so it's a really efficient process we're not doing load development with every bullet and we load them all up get them ready and then we take them out and shoot them when we shoot them we're shooting um at least groups of 10 for every bullet so we're getting 10 really good data points on each bullet uh and we're processing all that data. And then at that point, once it's all processed, we kind of have to, we go through and organize it. And this is something we've really been streamlining to speed up the process, but we go through, organize it, putting it into the, the database formatted correctly. And then at that point, once it's organized into the database, we push a, we actually push an update. Um, and that's, literally the notification you get on your mobile app or on your Kestrel when there's an update. Once that's pushed, the all those new profiles go into the, the, the library and they're ready to be used, um, particularly on the Kestrel and stuff like that. The Like the mobile app, um, and I know on Apple, 
it gets a little bit there's a little bit more work on our end involved because we have to there's just differences in how all that stuff has to get added but that's the that's kind of the the overview of what's happening to get a bullet from it's now available to the public to in our library sweet so y'all have i know so much information it's like oh uh y'all have a applied ballistics training division what services yep, are correct. offered and who are they available to yeah so applied ballistics training division as mitch was uh speaking about earlier it was uh something that was initially launched to bridge the gap between uh what is the science that the uh you know, AB is so good at and um, the science that we understand and the testing that goes along with that and uh, provide that, that link to the, uh, the shooter, whether it be across the military, law enforcement or um, civilian sports sector. And um, when I say provide that link, it's to relate the information, the science and the software or device use back to the shooter so that the shooter can understand that information in such a way that he can, he or she can process it and um, utilize it effectively and efficiently to actually achieve more hits on target. So, you know, sometimes when we talk about, you know, long range external ballistics um, and, you know, the science that goes into that, it's very easy to get caught up in it and get lost in it. Um, and essentially, it's my job and other trainers' jobs to uh, provide that understanding and that link for the shooter so that they understand how to best utilize their device, what a, uh, a particular, you know, ramif what, what a particular ramification would be of, uh, um, you know, an input error or, you know, best practices for trajectory prediction, understanding that, hey, I need to optimize my gyroscopic stability at the muzzle for, and there's various ways or various uh, things we can do within that to uh, achieve um, consistent flight, even through trans and sub. Uh, there's various things that, you know, we will try and provide the link for all the way from uh, good, solid uh, sound trajectory prediction and device use all the way up to and including the, you know, science of external ballistics. Now, ultimately, our job is to tie that back over to be a very usable um, source of information that can be executed easily by any shooter. Uh, we typically see ourselves working, well, when AB first, when AB training division was first uh, conceptualized, um, we found ourselves working in the military and law enforcement sector a lot for the first year or so. And um, that's continued on, but we've started branching out in the last uh, year or so uh, in the civilian sector as well. And now we currently even op offer uh, private training courses. Um, and that's something that can be, you know, that's something that can be accessed via the Applied Ballistics Training Division uh, website. There's actually a training request a link on there for private courses now as well. Um, alongside, you know, typically it was uh, the training requests from military law enforcement. Now, when I talk about those training requests, it gives the, the client or the, uh, the shooter requesting that training the ability to customize the training that they're looking for as well and so 
what I do is I take that, that training request and I optimize it and I modify it and I change it so that I'm not giving a shooter a generic uh, program of instruction. I'm designing a program of instruction and a curriculum around uh, learning objectives and training outcomes that will help facilitate the shooter meeting the goals that they're trying to achieve in, in their training as well. Um, so yeah, that's basically what, uh, what's entailed in all of that. And, you know, categorically that training is available to anyone and everyone. So how can people get information and upcoming training and classes? Like where do they go to find all that? Yeah. So as I was saying, the, uh, a lot of the information is contained on the applied ballistics training division.com uh, link. And um, also you'll see a lot of uh, information blasted out across our applied ballistics social media platforms, you know, Instagram, uh, Facebook, things like that. And we also host uh, or co-host training with partnered uh, training entities as well. As an example, I'm working with uh, Heartland Precision Rifle in, in uh, Nebraska in September. Um, and that's something that we uh, do, you know, periodically throughout the year, we'll partner with another training company and we'll provide instruction and, uh, you know, curriculum modifications in conjunction with what that, uh, that co-hosted training entity is looking to provide and we'll supplement their training and um, hopefully provide the, uh, the link to the best information, the most up-to-date information and what's considered a cutting edge or the leading edge in the industry. That's awesome. Do we so, have any more live? Oh, go ahead. I, I would just, uh, you know, I would just encourage shooters to go ahead and follow all of our uh, social media platforms or our pages and uh, get on the Applied Ballistics Training Division website. Um, as you can imagine with, you know, everything going on or, you know, earlier in the year, our 2020 training schedule didn't really survive the first six months, but, um, you know, unfortunately we've had to cancel a few courses and that, and things have still been somewhat busy this year, but we're hoping to uh, get things up and going again, you know, starting 2021. Um, not to, not to say that there are a few training courses, uh, that are still occurring later this year, like the, uh, the partnered training course with Heartland uh, Precision Rifle in September. There's also a ELR clinic at uh, Spearpoint Ranch in September as well. Um, and then not to mention, I'll be running various clinics uh, such as the Precision Rifle Expo class that I'll be putting on there. So there's still a few things going on um, despite the disruptions. That's awesome. Yeah. I was about to ask you, Greg, do we have any more live? I do not believe so. Let me double check. Nope, we are good on lives. Probably wrap this one down to shout outs. All right, go ahead with shout outs. All right, I'll go first. Um, first, I'd like to shout out to GSL Suppressors. Um, at some point in time soon, you're going to see one over here and then also on the other pretty green rifle of mine. Um, right now, they're sitting at Crack Shot Pond and Firearms waiting on the ATF to decide that I deserve to preserve my hearing. Um, shooters and sharpshooters of Augusta. They're almost every week since I don't have like my own ballistic laboratory. Um, that's where I go for all of my low development. Um, 
PDC Custom, if you are a fan of this beautiful rifle chassis, they are available in this color. Also, normal human colors as well. Um, Rimfire, Centerfire, pretty much anything you can think of, Craig over there makes. Um, Shooter's World Powder, I know I did some primer shopping over this weekend, or should I say looking at lots of pictures of boxes of primer that said sold out next to them. But I could still get powder, and I could get lots of powder. Just got another eight-pound jug of Shooter's World Precision yesterday. Um, Hunter's HD Gold pretty much the best thing you could ever put on your eyes while you're shooting. Um, and Bortec, when you have a really nasty rifle, say like you may look like it was covered in moon dust or something after shooting a match or something, uh, it'll clean it up real good. What's that face for, Jennifer? That might have been my <laughs> rifle and my gear that was covered in moon dust. Utah dust. Utah dust. Utah moon. They're both real far away from me. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, do you have any shout outs? Um, obviously, Applied Ballistics, uh, like Chris kind of mentioned, you can uh, check out, we're on Instagram, Applied Ballistics LLC. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Those are the two main social media platforms we hit up. Um, we've also kind of been starting our own podcasts um, just to try to get some more ballistics specific information out there. We've got some, uh, some episodes up. I believe they're on Podbean. Um, so that's another thing guys can check out, uh, information on that's also on our social media. And then, um, uh, a lot of the information we touched on today, uh, ballistically can be found in, uh, the applied ballistics books, like you, the set you guys are giving away here next week. Um, we've got lots of dealers for those books. If people want to grab copies to, to read up and learn more and more detail, um, or they can get them, uh, through our store on our website at uh, appliedballisticsllc.com. Awesome. Chris, you got any shout outs? I think uh, Mitch has covered, covered the bulk majority of it all. Yeah. Nothing to add. No, Nobody no. shouting out mom. Thanks mom. She gets no <laughs> love, right? <laughs> um, all right. So I'll move to my shout outs. So prime ammunition. I'm going to try and bring some to extra to see y'all next or this weekend coming up. I guess that's this weekend. Like in a few days, we'll be going yep. there. Yeah. Um, like, like three days, something like that. So yeah, yeah I'm playing soon. I better pack anyway. Uh, so prime ammo for awesome ammo. Uh, McMillan stocks made my beautiful gun. It's not behind me because I am, uh, I have it packed already. That's the only thing that's packed. My rifle and my ammo are like packed in the case already and locked up, ready to go and weighed. They're um, 49.8 pounds. But anyway, uh, that's all ready to go. So shout out to them. GSL suppressors, uh, HD Gold, Vortec, Shooters of Augusta and Sharpshooters of Augusta, Warren scope mounts and bipods. I picked up another of their certificates off the prize table at uh, the Wyoming match. Thanks for always supporting the matches. Um, oh, I know I'm going to forget some mics. I don't have my list. I'm trying to go back through everything. Yeah, I think mm. that's probably about all. I got most everybody anyway. Oh, Night Force, Night Force Optics. Got to remember the glass. Great glass. So, with that being said, we can wind this down, I think. And um, I just want to thank y'all for spending an hour and a half of your time with us. Um, did you have something else, Greg? Yeah. Nobody shouted out Amanda who did all the work to get the show all set up. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, and all she's uh, the one kind of coordinating and managing our our podcast and everything too. Um, most people, if you reach out to AB, you'll probably end up talking to her. So, uh, yeah, big shout out to Amanda. Man, y'all are in trouble for missing that one. <laughs> Mitch Mason wants a shout out. Mason's I can't say his last name. Cisco. Oh, he said shout him out. <laughs> now y'all right. are gonna have people wanting shout outs. <laughs> like Prentice. Oh, he's gonna Always. make like eighty comments. Mm -hmm. He might. He <laughs> might. But anyway, uh we do appreciate y'all coming on for uh an hour and a half and spending your Tuesday night with us and kind of dropping some knowledge. So everybody definitely check out the Applied Ballistics Lab. If you're in Wisconsin this weekend, go and see them. If you are at any of the other ones that they said, and, and Amanda put the schedule in the comments. So check them out, find out where they're going to be. It'll help you win 100% per Francis. Um, shooting ability has nothing to do with it. It is only having them do all of your numbers for you that will do it. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Oh, so that's, <laughs> that's right. So that's going to um, be a wrap for episode 304. See y'all next week. See y'all. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.